I'm the mom of two teenage girls. Which one do you like better? <laughs> Which daughter? <laughs> depends on the day. I mean, depends on the menstrual cycle. <laughs> We're all synced at the moment. Hello, and welcome to Fiction Between Friends, a podcast dedicated to books and book lovers like us. I'm Josephine Angelini. I'm Lauren Sanchez. I'm Alyssa Hilfinger. And I'm Aileen Calderon. We're four childhood friends from the suburbs of Massachusetts. We've always loved to read almost as much as we love to talk to each other. We started this podcast as a way to celebrate how a really good book can come into your life and change it. So if you're looking for fun and engaging conversations about books, stick around. This is Fiction Between Friends, and we're glad you've joined us. Hello there. Welcome to our podcast. This is episode one, season one. I'm Josephine Angelini, and joining me are my dear friends, Aileen Calderon. Hi there. Alyssa Hilfinger. Hi, friends. And Lauren Sanchez. Hello. So the idea behind this podcast was to start a book club with my friends, where we could read new book releases or books from the past that we've already read and loved, then meet once a week to have an open discussion about them. Some of these books you've all read, and some maybe not. So just be aware that we might do some spoilers. We will post all the books in advance on our website at fictionbetweenfriends.com to give you all a chance to read along if you feel like it. But before we get into books, I guess we should take a moment to let our listeners know who we are. Aileen, let's start with you. I'm Aileen. I am the mother of a four and a half year old. And when I'm not being a mother, I am also the executive creative director at a tech company after many years working in advertising. Lauren? I'm a librarian, children's librarian. I wanted to be an English teacher, but it wasn't for me. I didn't really like teaching. Sorry, Alyssa. But um, I found my niche in libraries. I love working in public libraries and, and being an advocate for good information and helping people in literacy. Love my job. Absolutely. And actually, right now, I'm getting my master's in library and information science, which is something I started a long time ago and didn't finish. So I'm going to finish it this time, even if it takes me forever. Alyssa, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I think it's funny that Lauren said she hated teaching. Like, that's what she wanted to do, but she hated it. So she left. I never meant to teach because I thought I would hate it. Um, but here I am, 17 years later, science teacher. I guess I should introduce myself, too. I'm Josephine Angelini, best-selling author of young adult novels. I'm mostly known for my Starcross series. And now I'm also very happy to be a podcaster with my three childhood friends. When we discussed it earlier, we talked about how, what a great way to start off this podcast would be to talk about the books that got us into reading. Mm -hmm. and. I, I go back and forth on that a lot because there are there are all these books that I, I, I feel like are kind of milestone books for me. They were so important in my development. And like Aileen, the book that you picked was Ramona Quimby, age eight. And mm -hmm. that book goes way back in my memory, like just even the name Beverly Cleary. And it goes back to like my earliest memories of books. So, yes. So when I was thinking about the books that I first started reading when I was little, I immediately thought Beverly Cleary and Judy Blue, like those two authors, I would just go to the library. I would take out tons and tons of books and just sit and read every single one, like in an entire day almost. Um, so I was thinking about the first book and I immediately thought of Ramona Quimby and I grabbed Ramona Quimby age eight. I actually reread it because I haven't read it since I was, I don't know, 10 years old or something. Um, it's amazing. It's not even the first book 
in the series. Beezus and Ramona was the first book, and it was actually written in 1955. Ramona Quimby, age eight, was written in 1981. And it was really interesting rereading it as an adult. I read it really quickly. I mean, I read everything really quickly. I think I probably speed read more than I should, but it's actually a really well-written book. It I think it respects the intelligence of the readers, which is probably like second or third graders. And Ramona Quimby is just this great character. Even now, I don't even remember what I thought of her when I was younger reading her, but reading her now, she's just like unapologetically herself. She's curious. She's smart. She gets into all kinds of, I guess you call it trouble, but it's more just her trying to sort of figure things out and not willing to back down. She just kind of stands up for what she thinks is right. I think that you should be a children's librarian. You just described that so well. Like I could imagine you talking to a kid like, this is why you should read this book. I'm going to take that as a huge compliment. Thank you, Lauren, the librarian of our group. One of the things I liked about Ramona, there's some anecdote, and I don't remember if it's Ramona age eight, but she had to get herself to school and was told leave at quarter after so that what quarter after eight, quarter after seven, whatever the time was, but leave it quarter after and you'll be able to cross the street with the crossing guard and get to school on time. And the way it played out was she didn't understand time. And so she interpreted quarter after as 25 mm. minutes because it was 25 cents to a quarter. So she equated 25 minutes. And so it was this whole debacle of her not making it to the crosswalk when the cross lady was there and not getting to school on time and getting in trouble because, you know, she misunderstood the directions. But what I remember about that is just how great the little details of all, like, of course, a little kid would do that. And I, I just, she was relatable. Yeah. Like I, I, her quirks, Ramona's escapades, they were just fun. It's interesting reading it as an adult because, I mean, obviously an adult wrote this book, but I think she did a great job of getting into the mindset of a child because the adults dismiss her a lot. Like you're inside Ramona's head and she's really upset about something the teacher has said to her and it's bothering her for weeks and she doesn't tell anyone. And every time she's on the verge of telling an adult, they're just like, okay, Ramona, I have other things to do. They're very dismissive of her. And you can kind of understand how I mean, as a mom now, I look at that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I really need to kind of pay attention to my little four and a half year old, especially as a geriatric mother. And, you know, <laughs> make sure I hear what he's saying and like listen to him because they live in such a different world than we do. The other thing that I thought was great about this book, it was written in 1981. And I feel like it was kind of progressive for its time. Like the dad in this in this book in particular, the dad is a cashier at ShopRite. The mom is a receptionist at like a dentist office or something. But the dad is going back to school to become an art teacher. So the mom's job becomes really important. And you can just you feel the stress that the children are, are getting from their parents because the parents are obviously worried about money because they don't have a ton of money. And it's just it's interesting seeing all that from a kid's eyes. That's actually the thing. I mean, that stuck with me the most about this book was how much anxiety this eight-year-old felt. And it really made me stop and think because my daughter's seven. And I was like, does she, because she's, my daughter's super sensitive and she feels everything that we're going through in the house and she's very perceptive and really empathetic. So I'm like, is, is she this stressed out? Because Ramona was really anxious about a lot of stuff. It was like, that was her whole world where her parents and making sure that, and her teachers and what they thought of her. That's what I thought was so groundbreaking about this book. It was 
talking so much about this worried inner life of a kid and how seriously she took every situation and how, you know, as a parent, you think, oh, they're kids. They, they're not worried because they don't look worried. They look like these blissful little creatures, but they do like they fret and they have all this anxiety and anxiety is such a big issue now in the world. Yeah, Josie, I think that's part of the point of why youth writing and even YA writing is really relevant to everybody because it's a window into these different characters at different times in their lives. And we forget what it's like to be a kid. And it it really is a nice reflection of who they are and what they're going through so that you can be more empathetic. Josie, let me ask you a question. So obviously you write for, you write young adult fiction. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure your writing is tailored to that audience? Like what's the difference between writing for YA versus writing adult fiction? The reason why I love writing YA is because all the emotions are turned up to 11. Do you remember when we were teenagers? Oh, God, yes. look at you sideways and it was like, it was like falling down a mountain. You were like, oh my God, this is the worst thing that everything is turned up to 11. And everything matters. And it does matter. It's just when you get older, you stop caring so much about stuff. But when you're younger, you really care about your friends. You really care what other people think. And you really care about your parents. There's like this, this breadth of being able to love. And that's what I try to write from. And that's why I love writing from it, because it reminds me, it, no, that does matter. It does matter if one of your friends is angry with you. And you will carry that around with you. And you don't just blow it off like you do as an adult. So... That's why I enjoy it. It keeps me in touch with that, you know. And Lauren, you chose the book that I was going to choose. Oh, really? Anne of Green Gables. No, no, I picked a different book, but Anne of Green Gables, like that book is like my heart. Oh, yeah. So I wasn't actually, Aileen's like my favorite library patron as a child because I love those kids who come in and read chapter books. Like it's easy to get parents to come in and take out like 50 picture books or whatever, but it's that age group, you start losing them and they, they're not, they, they don't continue reading on their own. And I, there are these kids who come in and they take out stacks of chapter books. And those are my favorite kids. <laughs> so Aileen, if I was your childhood librarian, I would have adored you. Aw, thanks, but Lauren. Moving, yeah, no, no problem. But moving forward, on talk about Anna Green Gables. So I wasn't one of those kids, even though my dad was a huge reader and uh, I always admired that about him. I just wasn't a big reader and um, I didn't dislike it. I just didn't want to, I didn't really care about it. Um, but in 1985, I, I will know it wasn't, yeah, it was 1985. Megan Follows was in that PBS. And that's all we watched when I was a kid was like PBS. We watched like Doctor Who and we didn't watch a whole lot. There wasn't a whole lot to watch, right? So that was a family. If My mom and I were like religiously watching that every week. And, um, and she said, you know, that's based on a book. You could read it. And she was always trying to get me to read which was good on her, you know? So I read it and it was a big chapter book for me. That was a big book. So I must've been like 10 or 11 at that point. And then I read, I went on to read almost the whole series, but I, I don't know what I loved about it. I was trying to think about that today. Like, what did I love about it? And I think it, it, it's kind of how I am today. If I watch a show on TV and I, and I, I mentioned this to you guys before, like how I really get attached to characters and I care about them. And then I know when the series, I don't watch movies because they don't keep going. I like to watch series because I like to get involved with the, the psyche of the characters. And, and that's how it is with books, too. So if I like something I've seen on TV, I'll often say, oh, I wonder if this is based on something I should read the book. And I think that's kind of 
kept going in my life, you know, and, and even reading in Spanish. Now I'll watch this. I love watching Spanish TV and I'll go and say, I wonder if that was a book. And then I'll read the book. Lauren, so, do you read it in Spanish? Kind of, I do. It's hard. It's very, very hard. How, how, do, you, I do. how do you choose what things to read in Spanish? Um, I like to read things in Spanish that I've watched or read in English prior. It's one or the other. So if I watch a show in Spanish, I, wa- I watch it with subtitles, right? But I can still understand the Spanish pretty much. Um, but then I know the story. So then I can pick up a book that's, uh, even if the story is a little different, I know the character is and I kind of know what's going to happen. It helps me translate it in my head. But the best was when I read Harry Potter in Spanish because I knew that story. And that was just, it really helped me to know the story ahead of time. I didn't have to guess too much. But that's what I think I And I mean, yeah, I can say, oh, I thought Ian was a great character, but I'm not even sure that's what I thought. I just really liked those books. I liked knowing, like caring about Marilla was her adoptive parent. And I liked knowing about her best friend, Diana. And, and I think I was, I felt like a little bit of a connection with Anne because she was a little bit flighty. And I, I was definitely like that. Oh, no, we never noticed. Remember. Lauren. <laughs> like no, no, Lauren. No, not at all. <laughs> my, favorite, Still like my, that. my favorite thing to do to Lauren when she learned how to drive is the light would turn green. <laughs> and I would tell her to take a left <laughs> and she would always that. take a right. Because I knew that <laughs> was going to happen. She would always because get Because I have, I have directional issues. There's got to be a name for it, like a directional disability. Like I, I still think my left is my right. And my daughter is the same. Amy, I have two teenage daughters and Amy, right. my youngest, is the same. And she's a left. Literally, we went to get our flu shots the other day. And she said to the guy, um, I like to have it in my right arm because I'm a lefty. And he went to give it to her. And he goes, that's, <laughs> that's my left arm. And he's like, no, that's your right arm. She goes, no, that's my left arm. And I was like, holy shit. She is my child. Like she's That's got not, by DNA. <laughs> directionally disadvantaged. I don't know. Directionally disadvantaged or did you just invent know. a term? I think or you did. Directionally, Let's go I like that better than directionally, directionally challenged. I like disadvantaged. <laughs> but I, when I love Anna Green Gables too, and the thing that I loved about it is almost like the exact opposite of why I loved Ramona Quimby age eight. I thought it was so interesting, like looking back over these books. I felt mm. so safe. In Anne's world, like in Anne of Green Gables, when I read it, it had stuff that happened to her and it was terrible and embarrassing. She broke the slate over Gilbert Bly's head. She had to stand at the front of the classroom. I mean, there was terrible stuff that happened to her, but I always felt like she was going to be okay. And I guess with Ramona, I felt like she was going to be okay, but she was so anxious about it that it was like that brought a sort of like a modern take on what kids feel on top of like all of this embarrassing stuff happening. So you have Ramona Quimby breaking the egg on her forehead and then she's got egg in her hair for the rest of the school day. And it's mortifying. And you also have Anne mortifying herself. But the way that each writer goes, like she mortifies yeah. herself like a million times. <laughs> but the cordial and the... But the way Anne... The current wine. Oh my God, she gets yeah. Diana drunk. That's, <laughs> a, that's hilarious. But that it's like... This feeling of being safe is in both of the books, but they go about it in such different ways. One by acknowledging the anxiety and the other one by just creating this like perfect little pocket in the world. Mm-hmm. This Green Gables, you know, who who does I wanted to live there. Although, you know, I was like, there's a lot of farm work and I already have <laughs> enough of that. But anyway, <laughs> can, you, can you guys give a brief summary of yeah. the Greek? I, I know I read it. It's about this elderly couple on Prince Edward Island who have a farm and... um. They, they're realizing that they need farm help. So they contact a, an orphanage for a boy, for a farmhand. 
but instead Matthew goes to pick up the boy and Anne gets in the in the carriage or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, and he brings her home and Marilla's like, Yeah, forget it. We're not keeping this kid. And Matt but Matthew's already decided that he likes her and he wants to keep her. And she just talks the whole way home, you know. Um it's she's got this big imagination and, and she's so excited that somebody wants her because she's been in some pretty tough situations. So they get home and Marilla's like, who is this kid? You know, like, we can't keep this girl. She's not going to do anything for us. She's not what we wanted. And poor Anne is just like devastated. But in the end, they decide to give her a trial and they ultimately keep her. But Marilla's like this very, I don't know, what would you say, Josie? Just like a very straight person. She's like, yeah. Up strict. And Anne's yeah. like her total She's, opposite. You know, oh, so Matthew and Marilla are brother right. and sister. Neither of them ever right. married. So they're these super, they're just repressed. And Anne is the exact opposite. She's like this free spirit and she's creative and she imagines climbing trees yeah. and being a fairy princess. And, and she has no filter. She like brings this. Right. right no filter. filter. <laughs> and it's beautiful. They're like exact mm-hmm. opposites and they're perfect yeah. together. So it's just so charming. Yeah. And then there's like, um, I love that story. There's a boy named Matt. Uh, wait, what's his name? Gilbert Blythe. Yeah. And I, I kind of created a crush on him. Like I, I decided I thought Gilbert Blythe was just it, you know, in my, t- in my like 10 year old, 11 year old mind based on Anna. Well, he was, he was so, it. I'm, he was, yeah. he was it. Yeah. I have a plant named Gilbert. <laughs> yeah, I do. I love that you name your plant. <laughs> yeah. Alyssa gave me a plant and I named it Gladys. It was this like big chunky succulent. I'm like, that's Gladys. Lauren has a green fist, not just a thumb. I feel like you've got a green fist. No, you guys are totally wrong, actually, about that. I really don't. Lauren, you have given me the cuttings of three different plants. And when they leave your house, they are lush and verdant and wonderful. They come to my house and they die. It's you. <laughs> it's all about luck. I, I don't do anything special. No. I don't even fertilize anything. I like stick it in the ground no, and I go, Lauren, go for you it. You have some magical touch and <laughs> it's got to be the lead paint that's flaking oh, no, off my house. I have plenty of that too. Here, so. I'm not allowed. I had a beautiful herb garden with oregano and rosemary that took off in, in right in front of the house. And because our house is so old, my husband said, there's no way we're eating herbs because of all the lead that could have ended up in the plants themselves from all the hundreds of years of scraping. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But Alyssa, you've always preferred dead oh, yeah. things. You always love fossils and dinosaurs. That's and, true. You know. <laughs> if it's dead, I can't kill it. <laughs> Only fossilized plants in your house. Exactly. That My one publication actually is of a fossilized plant, Zamites pauli. Who knew? Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yep. I'm going to have to look review? that one up. Why? The New Mexico Law Review, I believe. Like a law review. No, no. Oh, no, wait. Oh, wait. Sorry. I have two publications. My fossil publication is um, is the Zamites Paoli. Mm. And then in the New Mexico Law Review, I have mm. a paper about paleontological resource management. Go ahead, laugh. No, I love it. <laughs> we we have to do, we got to do like a science book episode. I'm serious. I, I will really have nothing like to a, contribute to that. Yeah, you can do a fictional <laughs> one. Can it be I, fiction? This is fiction between friends. No, wait, actually, Alyssa, I, Aileen, you might actually, um, like, remember the book about Henrietta Lacks? Henrietta, Did you read that one? familiar. What was it? If you haven't, you should. Alyssa, um, do you remember the title? Well, the... No, oh, the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks. Henrietta oh, Lacks. right, the woman was, who sells are just like yeah, going no, on you forever would like and that. ever. I, mm-hmm. I have to read that. That's on my to read list. I don't know why I haven't read it yet. 
Or I will read Ada Twist Scientist, yes. which is a children's book because oh, this is about at my reading comprehension level yes. these days. And it's amazing. <laughs> Your son loves those books, right, Aileen? Yes. And I love that there are children's books that star really smart little black girls, like That's or even amazing. really smart little girls, mm-hmm. period. And he loves it. And it's great. Mm-hmm. We didn't have those options when we were kids. It was no. Like- you read? Do you realize we just pretty much everything we read was, I mean, it was definitely by written by white people. and. Well, I mean, once you got to high school, it was pretty much all old white men. I mean, th- those yep. are the books that we those were taught. Those are the books we read. I, you know, I mean, there are a lot more books by African-American authors now, but there were some when we were kids, but I don't think that people were reading them to us. Yeah, no one you thought know what about I mean? it. Like, I think about it so much now with my son. Like, I think about even just like using pronouns, because I realize you tend to default to he. Like, if you see like a rabbit in the yard, you'll be like, oh, look at him. Mm-hmm. And I always catch myself. I'll be like, oh, look at her. Yeah, that's true. Just to kind of mix it up a little bit. I've noticed it, like he'll call, he'll refer to a monster as being a her instead of a him. You know, that's so, so it, it actually makes it makes such a big difference. Like I pay so much attention to that because I feel like growing up, no one did. You know what, Aileen, Alyssa actually brought up books being like a, a window. I think you use the word window or a mirror. But with, there's there's this whole like curriculum called Mirrors and Windows. and um. We use it at the library at the moment. We, we partner with a community group that puts this on. And the whole concept now is to like, you know, books are a reflection. You want a book to reflect who you are, but also be a, a mirror to a another person or another culture. Yeah. Uh, thank you. A window to another person or culture. And, um, and I think it's an amazing thing for kids to think that way. Nobody ever thought about that when we were kids, I don't think. Or they weren't talking about it to us um we were racing so i think that's like ramona quinby (laughs) could have been your mirror you know and i I tend to gravitate to books that are about people like me even now yeah and i've been trying to make a conscious decision to not do that and actually use books as a way to learn about other people but even Mm -hmm. i think ramona quinby i was like oh look at this cool spunky little girl i feel like she's a little bit like me i'm gonna read about her you know what i mean but that's the thing so here is this character who is who is a child Mm -hmm. that is brave and quirky and fun and spunky and could speak to any child. But I wonder how many boys were given Ramona Quimby to read. Yep. I mean, we as girls are given books without regard to who the characters are. And if the main character is a boy, we are expected to be able to still read it, relate to it, find some truth in the character that it, right yeah i agree with you Alyssa. yeah and i agree like as maybe i'm generalizing here i probably am but i feel like girls will read any book about any character like my girls loved to read the rick riordan percy jackson oh those books. are so good but if you ask a boy to read like say you you're you're talking to a 12 year old boy and you're like oh you should read josie angelini's books um star kissing a character and this and that and they yeah They'll be like, yeah, I don't really want to read that with a girl protagonist. Well, what you know? did the boys read? Because so. I even asked my husband, I, I was like, what did you read growing up? I'm like, did you read Beverly Cleary or Judy Bloom?" And he's like, who's that? And I was shocked because they were such a huge part of my childhood. And I don't know what the boys were reading. And I feel like we're all gravitating. I mean, so far, I gravitated towards Ramona Quimby, strong female character. Mm-hmm. You guys are re- gravitating towards Anne of Green Gables, strong female character. We haven't gotten to Alyssa yet, but it's an interesting trend. And I wonder if boys even think like that. And what were they reading? Well, my 
my brothers read comics a lot. And they also, Andrew uh, read mm. Choose Your Own Adventure. Yes, a I lot of those. Choose Your Own Adventure. Um, but I think like Andrew Clements, was in a, wasn't he? I don't know. I feel like my brother read his stuff too. But that may have been, I may be confusing that with other no, things. No, but Alyssa, <laughs> with Bridge to Terabithia, the author did something really mm. smart. She had dual main characters. So, and it was told from the perspective of a, of a right. boy. Can I just say, Aileen and Josie, Bridge to Terabithia is a great read aloud. You guys could definitely read that with your kids. Alyssa and I, our kids are older now, so I don't think they want to hear us read it. I read it to Anna, and then Amy sat down one day to start listening, and she never sat to listen Aww. to books. She still doesn't really. But um, she loved that book. The pros in it. I'm are, so glad you chose that one. Amy. beautiful. Alyssa? So, that, so that's another one. I remember the title. I remember I read it. I don't remember anything about it. And Josie apparently went back and read all of the books. I did not. <laughs> I'm so I impressed. Did. Well, I saw it as an opportunity. I was like, oh, my God, I love these books. I'm going to read them all again. <laughs> I know. When I was thinking about books that got me into reading, I mean, all of those same books, Aileen, that you mentioned with Judy Bloom and Beverly Cleary, but Bridge to Terabithia. It's a story about fifth graders, and there is a boy, Leslie, who is the only boy in a family of a lot of girls. Josie, your family might be Jess, evil. Jess. Oh, right. That's Jesse's the, Leslie is Jess the girl the that moves here. in. Um, and my family definitely, my brother was like the only boy in a sea of women. Poor thing. Uh, but I remember, <laughs> some, you know, one of the details that sticks out is um, he, his claim to fame was going to be running. And... His parents didn't have money to buy him sneakers and everything was handed down from the oldest sisters all the way down. And the only shoes he could get a hold of to run in were his sisters and they were pink. And he took a marker and colored over, you know, some of the pink on the on the sneakers so that they would look more boyish. And, you know, just how mortified he was that he had to borrow his sister's sneakers in order to run. And then this girl moves in from Pennsylvania. And she beats him in the schoolyard race and he's pissed. And then they develop this friendship and he connects with her and they create this little village in the forest and they have a rope swing over a creek and they're the only ones that go on the other side and they build this little village and they call it Terabithia and the rope swing over the creek is the bridge to Terabithia and nobody knows about it but them. Um, mm -hmm. And then the you know, the tragedy in the book is that he isn't with her one day and she goes to Terabithia, but she slips on the rope swing and she hits her head on a rock in the creek and she drowns. And so it's processing this grief. And as a fifth grader, that, I mean, that just felt so huge to me. First of all, this relationship between a boy and a girl was so foreign and hadn't really been modeled anywhere. Um, and at that point, too, mm -hmm. in our lives, and not not romantic, right? It's just a friendship, right? It's so beautiful, too. And I mean, remember on on yeah. the playground at recess, there was not a whole lot of us playing with the boys. I mean, there might have been a little bit, but right. But I just right. Well, that's who I thought. Yeah, that's of who I was because, thinking of too. Yeah, Eric Baxter. Yeah, Eric Baxter. He, he was, was the one friend. I played with. So mm -hmm. this, but I just remember the depth of emotion I felt about just being so sad and this poor girl died and the friendship and what would happen to it. And, you know, poor Jess, I, it just, and so I would go back and I would reread the sections of the book where, 
you know, different parts happened and, yeah. and try and understand it again. And did I really read it right? And maybe she's not really dead. And it, it just, and he has I, the same denial. I'm, I'm glad Alyssa brought this book up because sometimes when I select books for kids, chapter books, I, I try not to censor based on my own like fears and things that I think about for my kids. You know, some yeah. books come out and it's about divorce or the grandfather dies or the parent dies. And I'm like, oh, not another one. And I get really anxious about it because I don't, I want to protect everybody. Um, and I've sometimes I feel like that's a really new, a new feeling because when we were kids, there were books were scary and they were like, they just, you know, I, I don't know. I think they, people weren't as concerned about it. Um, but it's a good reminder that like you related to that, like it, it made you think about things. And so if a kid today read a book about the mom dying and the dad moving away and, you know, it's, it's actually okay for a kid to read that because it's okay for them to feel something and be a little confused. Well, I think that's I think that's it. As an adult, and especially as a parent, your instinct is to protect your child. And you realize we, we come into every situation with so yeah. much more baggage than they have. Like, I just went through this with my four-year-old because oh, yeah. we lost a cat and then we lost a grandma and it was heartbreaking and devastating. But but it's also, but it was every step of the way we were anticipating what was going to happen next. And for him, it was, we just needed to explain very frankly what was going on and what had happened, that they weren't here anymore. And he was like, okay. And he was like sad about it, but he accepted it and he processed it. And I think it probably came through in some temper tantrums later on, but we feel like we have to shield kids from so much, yeah. but there's such a huge benefit for just being like very upfront with them. Like Mr. Rogers did that beautifully. I mean, you know, he, he just, oh yeah, he had a, he had a fish that died. He's, He's like, well, the fish is dead. <laughs> its body stopped working. We're going to go bury it in the yard. Like that was an episode. And you're sort of like, oh my God, you're saying this to kids, but it's more because of our baggage that comes with how hard it is, death is for us. But kids are like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's a normal thing. But also, I mean, it's like, I think books give us the opportunity to prepare for those momentous things that happen to us. It's yes. like. When you read about something and you understand the opportunity of it, it's it's not as shocking. Like one of the things about Jess and the way that he dealt with the death uh, of Leslie, one of the things it was like he was so shocked by it. And I was wondering, like, I mean, I know he grew up on a farm, but how, mu how much death he had encountered because his first instinct, in fact, the whole chapter is called no. Like he just refuses to accept that she's dead. And in a way, I think books allow us to prepare for these things so that it's not that, you know, that soul shockingly horrible, that it's not like this is something that isn't even possible for her to be dead. Like, it's just not, it can't ever happen. But if you've read and you've acquainted your emotions with those things, it's sort of like, well, I know that this can happen. And that, I think that brings you one step closer to healing in a way. And I think these books that we're trying to protect our kids from, or we're like, oh my God, that's too much definitely has to do with our baggage i think first and foremost but second we're we're denying them this opportunity to be exposed to something and know that it's out there so that when it does happen to them and it happens to all of us like all of this stuff happens to us they're a little bit more prepared for it yeah one of the first things i i did when we were dealing with death with my four-year-old is i was i was like lauren you're a librarian what books what good what are good children's books on death i now have basically like i have like a I have like a grief library now because it just helps because I could talk to him to a certain extent, but I felt like there's so many authors out there who do such a great job explaining it to kids that age because it's a really hard thing to explain. Mm -hmm. And I think books are the kind of thing that 
they meet you where you're at. And so we might be really worried about a book being too much for a kid, but parts of that book will go over their head and they won't connect to it. And so kids will pull out of a book what they're ready to pull out of. Um, and then, and that's, that makes it safe to have the feelings that you're having. And I mean, that's why I have one book that I always go back to and I sob when I read it. And which one is that, Alyssa? Bridges in Madison County. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Hopeless romantic. <laughs> you and Tiff, isn't Tiff the one who likes the, doesn't, isn't her husband the one who likes the Nicholas Sparks yes, movies? Yes, he did recommend the notebook to me. <laughs> you guys are perfect for each other. But I think books are a safe exploration of feeling. And as a kid, when, mm-hmm. if you've never experienced death, but you can start to understand it through these characters, then, you know, Josie, I think you were the one that said, like, it can help prepare you for when you're going to have to deal with it in real life. Or was that you, Aileen? You're both brilliant. You, either of you could have it. So I really want to hear what oh. Josie's book is. I picked Pride and Prejudice. And it's not because it was the oh, first yeah. book that got me into reading. That was actually Anna Green Gables. And I was like, Warren, you scooped me. But <laughs> for me, Pride and Prejudice was super special because, uh, not just because it's a great book, but because my sister Martha and I used to share bunk beds and um, mm-hmm. we used to share books, like especially when it was super cold. Like, what I mean, you guys know I grew up in a big family and we didn't have any, like we had no money. And um, th- in the winter, we get super cold, but we, you know, we couldn't really turn the heat on for many hours a day. So like after it got dark, we'd have to turn the heat off because we couldn't afford the bill. So my sister and I used to cuddle up. We used to like wrap ourselves up as tight as we could because we were like, sitting there shivering. And we'd read back and forth chapter by chapter to each other. And that's what we would do at night because we'd have to turn off all the TVs and like no electricity and only one light in the room. So we'd be all bundled up and we'd pass the book back and forth to each other. And for me, it was, first of all, can I just say Jane Austen read aloud? There's a reason they keep making movies of these books and not just because they're great stories, but because they're a just these moments where her prose, just hearing them aloud, you fall mm-hmm. in love with language. You yeah. fall in love with the way that people talk to each other. And, and you also fall in love with the characters. They're just so special and Yeah, I, you know, Josie, I think that those books were meant to be read aloud. That's, that's what they did for yeah. entertainment, you know? That was the first book I reread. Pride and Prejudice was almost the book I picked. We're connected yeah, at the brain. Yeah, we we all we all picked books by female authors with strong I was going to say, I was just trying just, to figure that out. Yeah. And that was another thing. I mean, Jane Austen was just leaps and bounds ahead of her day and age. And just as a writer, you know, Mm -hmm. such a shining example. But it was one of those things where I, with my sister, and the book was about all these sisters who were living together Mm -hmm. and they were poor. Like they were sisters who lived on this, you know, and they were embarrassed by the clothes that they wore. And they were, you know, sort of thrown out into society, like, quick, get a husband. And they were all like, get a husband. And my sisters and I were all sort of like, my parents weren't like that. They were like, get an education because, you know, we can't pay for college. So you're just <laughs> going to have to figure it out. Um, but it was it was such the same situation. And we also had a farm and, you know, they grew up in this rural country house. Mm-hmm. And I felt such a connection to it. Can and we- reading it with my sister and the relationship between the sisters was so genuine to us. Like we were reading it. And even the things that they didn't tell each other yeah. when they were like, when... 
Elizabeth and her sister were not talking and they were withholding stuff. My sister and I used to do that all the time. It was yeah. like this weird thing that develops and I've never seen it so brilliantly executed in a book. And I connected with it so deeply that, I mean, I'll just, I'll never forget that winter. We must have read that book to each other two, three times. There's a couple of things about Jane Austen that bothers me though, Josie, like aren't the mothers, there's always, or no, like, no, you know what? That's not true. I was going to say the mothers there are, are some all so flitty or like, you know, single-minded about husbands. But then again, like um, Persuasion, I think, is the one that takes place in Bath. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. the dad who's a real flake. So I'm, I think I'm wrong about that point. Yeah. No, but in Pride and Prejudice, both of her parents are flakes. Are they? Like her dad is this guy. He like... You know, he kind of can't be bothered. Not that he can't be bothered. He's just more interested in his books and his bugs and like all of the weird stuff that he's into. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with books and bugs, by the way. Add some rocks in there and you've got a day. <laughs> <laughs> Says the scientist. Um, but let's not let's not forget about Darcy. Oh, Mr. Darcy. Oh, no, Mr. Darcy. <laughs> oh, my God. I always I was always like, he's such a jackass. Like, why does he get it? I loved Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. I don't know. For with him, he was, and then of course he redeems himself in the end. But through the whole book, I was like, "Why does everyone love this guy? He's a dink. Like, why is yeah?" But there's something like better. a dark horse, sexy kind of rich guy. I don't know. No, no, no. But also, it's genuine. It's sort of like he's not going to mm-hmm. throw himself after her. Like he's, you know, that guys don't do yeah. that. They don't like. I'm gonna send you roses every day until you fall at my feet they get in fights and they talk about stuff and they argue and and that's when they fall in love and that's much more genuine you know anyway so that book was always special to me but just i think it was more of like an uh i don't know if it was about the book itself it was more how i read it and how i shared it and i always think about you know sharing books with somebody and connecting through that book as being such a special thing mm-hmm. it's one of the things that i love most about reading is being able to give a book to someone else or read it with them and oh yeah a shared experience same level yeah yeah it's, and well, it's so friends, much more powerful than going to see a movie with someone i don't know why no i agree with you on that totally <laughs> unrelated but just because i heard this recently and i want to ask you Josie, yeah. sensitivity readers have, have you heard of this do yeah. you use them i've had them Oh, yeah. No, I've had them. Yeah. I actually had, I had, we did a whole reprinting of Starcrossed in the UK. Like they put out a box set with new covers um, like a year ago. I did the edits with a new editor. Oh, super cute. My new editor, the sensitivity editor who went through it and was just like, hey, look, 10 years ago, it was cool to say this. It's not cool to say this anymore. Let's just got to leave the book now. I was like, okay, yeah, this is the way things change. And I'm growing, I'm learning, and I want my books to grow and to be given that opportunity to re-edit your books and go back and say, you know what, you're right, I, I had it wrong, and this, is, this shouldn't be in the book. Um, it was a great opportunity for me. So she, no joke, the first time Starcross came out, she was a new girl in a new school, and her best friend gave her that book and was like, you should just read this. Like a new girl that she Aww. knew and they became best yeah. friends through Starcross. And she wound up my editor How at cool. Macmillan in UK. She wrote me. They, The best friend said, I need you to sign this for Simran. She's like 
my best friend. She's new at school. We love this book. It'll make her feel so great for her birthday. And I remember writing her this long thing and signing of the book. And like eight years later, she's this really high-powered editor at Macmillan UK. Like, that's nuts. But um, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for sensitivity. Anytime somebody stops and they say, hey, think about this. Think about what it's like to be an Asian girl reading this and always talking about, I did it because I wanted Helen to be super tall and she had jeans that never came to her ankles. And that's like the beginning of the book. And she had this petite, beautiful Asian-American friend, Japanese descent, who was tiny. And she always wanted, like Helen always wanted to be smaller. And she was always trying to like fit into Claire's shadow type of thing just to try to hide herself. And it never worked because her friend was like that big. But they're like, every time you emphasize how small an Asian American is, you're making that person feel small. And I was like, you know what? We're going to take all that crap out of that book. I was doing it for a character reason, but I see now how a reader could misinterpret it. And that's got to go. Or interpret it in a way that that makes them feel bad, you know? And I don't want any of my readers to feel bad. So do you have to request a sensitivity reader or does every author automatically have someone who looks at their book? You don't. You First of all, once your book gets sold, you have very little control over who your editor is or what happens to it. Like they they basically own the book now. And if you get a sensitivity author, I, I think you're lucky. But that sort of thing is it's super brand new. And I know that some people are chafing against it. I just I see it as an opportunity to learn and grow. I never mind getting I, I love notes. If somebody gives me notes. I'm like, OK, this is how somebody else in the world sees it. And I have to take that into consideration because I want everyone to read my book. You know, and if one of my readers, including this editor, says this doesn't work or this hurts me or this makes me feel less as a person, I have to listen to that because I don't want to do that to anyone. Um, sensitivity readers are new, um, but they're at all of the big imprints now. And um, even if you were to go to a smaller imprint, they're becoming hyper aware of it. And I, personally, I think it's a great thing. Yeah. I like so it. It's, and they're really conscious now, like all of the major labels are super conscious now of bringing in people of color because, you know, one of the best things about books is to give people who feel like they're outsiders, who, who are marginalized, who have been oppressed to tell their story. I think, or at least I think that's in its idealized sense, that's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> well, there are so many voices to be heard and you know, we only know what we know. We don't even know what we don't know. And, and I think the responsible thing is you have to, you have to bring in other voices so that you can have a complete, well-rounded picture. I mean, that makes sense. And mm -hmm. it makes sense in every field. I mean, it, it, as a woman yeah. in science, that's something that's happening in science too. Oh my God. You know, trying to have all the voices at the table. And, and helping people learn how to make room at the table for other voices. So final thoughts, Lauren, final thoughts about Anne of Green Gables. Well, I'm glad it enticed me to read. I don't know if you guys remember the Shaw's mm -hmm. Plaza yes. in Ashland. Oh, yeah. yeah I oh, remember yeah. when that was just a field. But I remember when they developed it and that was a new plaza and there was a bookstore there. And I, I mean, Alyssa and Aileen, you, Josie lived across town, but we would walk over down to like Mason's mm -hmm. and mom's ice cream and stuff. But I wouldn't go down there and 
browse for books and because it was like I could go there on foot and I would that it I just after reading Anna Green Gables or deciding I actually wanted to be a reader and enjoyed reading that was my next step was going to buy myself little paperbacks that I could afford you know even if it was oh, Babysitter's Club or whatever. It wasn't Babysitter's Club, but I can't remember the name of it. It was those twins, those blonde Aryan twins. Do you guys remember those books? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they were like super the white. The and... twins? Is that <laughs> yes. their actual name? No. No. no they, they lived were in like, California. They were like perfect, you know? I read a few of those um, after that, but, you know, they diversified finally at some point and read other things. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, I have to credit that that PBS and a Green Gables TV show and then reading the books for encouraging me to continue being a reader. And Aileen, how about you? Um, I just I've always loved Beverly Cleary and Judy Bloom. They've stuck with me my entire life and I don't my memory sucks, I'm not gonna lie. But um that they just going back and reading Ramona Quimby was so great because it's actually a really well written book. Like it was written by an author who obviously has a lot of respect for kids and it's just it's well written it's and it her characters are just really interesting and well developed and I don't know I think there's some value for grown-ups to go back and read the books that they read as kids and just kind of look at them with an adult perspective especially if you're a parent just going back and thinking about things from your kids point of view and the, the way you know things are with your kids now and just I don't know it's just it's kind of a beautiful thing to go back and read the books that you read as a kid Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. And how about you, Alyssa? Bridge to Town. I realize I have never read anything else by Catherine Patterson. I and I think that would be something I'd be interested in now. You know, just to go back and see mm-hmm. what else she's written and see how that might speak to me. Um, and and I think Aileen, you're right. You know, going back and and rereading some of these books is is so interesting to have the memories of our kid perspective and then to see it as an adult. Um, I don't know. I'll, mm. I'll, I'll look and see what else she has. And that's something I'm excited for. For me, um, Pride and Prejudice is sort of remembering what it is to share a book with somebody and pass the book along and make that an experience in itself. Just reading together, I think is so, it's so important. We think of it as this lonely little exercise, but in truth, it's everybody who's read the same book that you've read has lived in that same spot in their head that you have. And that's a, such a beautiful thing to me. Okay. Thanks. You guys. Oh my God. We went way over time, but this was super guys, fun. this is the best Saturday, Saturday night I've had in a while. I, I think I have, I've had happy. two glasses of wine. I'm tanked. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks guys. It's good to hear that. And, um, I just yeah. I just want to make a comment about Aileen and her, you know, the fact that she hates writing, but she's actually quite good at it. Agreed. Yes. Such a good So writer. I I think Thanks. that the way that you admire Beverly Cleary, I think that for the reasons you admire her, that you should be a children's writer and you should consider doing that. Oh. Well, that's interesting. Thanks, right? Lauren. Oh my God. I'm going to keep yeah. coming back I've if never. I keep getting compliments. Well, you so are my nice. favorite. Li- you're my favorite library patron at the moment. So. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. So thanks, everyone. And yeah, I thank guess you. That's good night. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. Bye, everyone. Bye. 
Well, that's it for our very first episode of Fiction Between Friends. You can find links to the books in the show notes on our website at fictionbetweenfriends.com. Please keep in mind that this is a work in progress, and feedback is greatly appreciated. The theme of our next episode will be books about friendship. Be sure to come back and join us. You've been listening to Fiction Between Friends. To find the show notes for this episode or to subscribe and get new episodes delivered automatically, visit fictionbetweenfriends.com. Also, if you happen to have a moment and you've liked what you've heard, please help support our podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. We would be immensely grateful. Thank you for listening. Thank you.